What chapter? Okay. I'm glad everybody's prepared again today. All right, here, let, I'm going to start again, okay? Because here's the thing. This was the most, this was the most, I'll just, if you're not going to talk, I'll talk. This was the most wonderful chapter, uh, but it occurred to me at the end of the chapter, part of the reason, I was reflecting on the, on the struggles that we've sort of had with this book, part of the reason is we don't think clearly anymore. Uh, we think, well, I would think that, I, I was struck by the, the bit at the end where he said, uh, he diagnosed that how people think about the Holy Spirit because they don't think about the world in the correct way. They don't, you don't have a proper idea of what the universe looks like, therefore you think about the Holy Spirit wrongly. For example, um, you remember that he said, there's a couple ways that people talk about it, about the world. They talk about it as being, uh, the pantheists sort of think there's no, this is just all there is. So Jesus is the same as your bunny. Did you like that? That a bishop would admit that he hitchhiked through British Columbia in 1968. I want to know what else the bishop was doing. But that's the question for another day. So there was one where he said, he said, remember, they're just, they're just the same thing. The Holy Spirit's just in everything. He's in the rock. He's in Jesus. He's in my, and the interesting thing is he's in the bunny exactly the same way he's in the rock is exactly the way he's in Jesus, which he just says, for Christians on the face of it, that's just absurd. We are able to distinguish between Jesus and a bunny, for example. Did that make sense to you? That's not what I'm worried about with you. There's not many. I don't bump into too many pantheists. And even if, uh, even if they are, they don't know quite what they're talking about. They just, they just heard it somewhere. Um, but I was, th- I was, I was sort of thinking. I, I actually think, and this, this sort of makes a little bit of sense. Probably because um, people have sort of a disjointed worldview. So the first one is they're like this. Remember, the second one is sort of like this. That God is up here, and, and you're down here, and then occasionally, God pops in and gives you a little bit of data, like, oh, I don't know, tongues, you speak in tongues, or tongues of fire, then he goes away for a while, doesn't do anything. Then he pops in again, oh, I'll send a prophet, and then he goes away for a while, and then he's like, oh, I'll heal somebody, and then he, then he pops in again, and says, oh, you know, uh, somebody can speak in tongues in the church. And then somebody else can write a book and tell what the future's like. So you have this strange notion where God kind of pops in and out. I was thinking, that is probably, whether you realize it or not, that is, that is, that is I would suggest that's the way many people think around you. And I wonder if many of you think that way. And maybe that's the way, reason you've struggled so with some of the stuff that we've been doing. Is that, is that, do you kind of think of that? And, and we even talk that way. He actually identified it very well that we live in a natural world that can kind of be explained. And then there's a supernatural world that God lives in up in heaven, and it, but occasionally pops in and makes a guest appearance, right? Does that make sense? Do you kind of normally think that way? Yeah, he'll pop down if you need him, but otherwise you're kind of on your own, right? Okay, and of course you know what I'm going to say next. That's a completely modern way of looking at the world. Yeah, I know you don't like that, but it is, in fact, the way it is. Because what happened? We said this was, this was modernism. We'll explain the world without reference to God. So anything that happens, we can explain by mathematics, by physics, by chemistry, by psychology. We can explain our own world. And then what happens is, just, just so you know, people who, and I don't know if you saw this. Jill brought me this last week. I was, I'm going to run it as a margin comment. You saw the atheists in... Um, <coughs> in London are now running ads on the side of the bus, which is completely free because the Muslims do it and the Christians do it, and they say, God doesn't exist, now go enjoy the rest of your life. 
So do what you want. Be happy, right? See, because that's just the natural outgrowth of this, which is, come on, there's just, and I don't know if you know this, there's, when, when you study healings, doctors have as many unexplained spontaneous healings. They, they come to doctors. Unexplained spontaneous healings happen to doctors in about the same percentage that they happen in churches. Interesting, right? Okay, so that's just natural stuff. And if you hear other voices... Uh, we can give you some medication for that, right? I mean, we can. We can medicate you for that, you know. And if you, if you pray to God, that's a capitalist delusion or a Freudian misunderstanding, right? I mean, so, so what happens is you just, and if you, have, if you need to explain where things came from, uh, evolution is just as good of, and this is always what I say to you, evolution is just as much a resurrection story as Jesus from the dead. Evolution is something, life from nothing, something from nothing, and Christianity, Genesis is something from nothing. They're both the same story, but you don't need the one in Genesis. Uh, so really, your whole time you've been deluded. Okay? And my, the great danger point, now I'm talking a little more philosophically, but broadly, but what I diagnose in you and in sort of our greater area and the way people talk <clears throat> when they talk modernly and non-sacramentally this is how they talk. And it was so helpful to read that page and just, just see that actually that's why there's such a clash. That's why there's such a clash between sacramental people and non-sacramental people. Because you can live this way as a non-sacramental person and you kind of lose everything you get to stand on. Do you remember what the third way he talked about? How do things work in the third way? Do you remember what he said? He said they're interlocked. So they're overlapping. So, and that just plays right to our strength. Because tell me where the Lord overlaps. Where does the Lord overlap? How, do, how does it overlap? Tell me, tell me what overlap would mean in your own words. What would it mean? That, the world, that worlds overlap. They're not, they're not the same. They're not identical. They're not split apart. They're overlapping. They are, remember I preached about this, they are perichoretic. I know this is a big word, but do you remember what that was? What was that? You people who listen so carefully to every word of every sermon, I just am just suggesting, I mean, it was, I'm just asking. You remember what that was? That was the... You're going to take the E for all of And I, I, I was off to such a fast start, and then I tripped up. <laughs> I felt, like, I felt like Captain Emo coming down here today. I, mean, I was just like so in touch with my feminine side. Then I got all thrown off. Okay, so, but never mind. Remember, this was the thing about the dance. Can't remember. I was, what's, how's that spelled, Vicar? Perichoretic, it's the Greek, but it comes to English. P-E-R-I, para, core, C-H-O-R. I don't remember if this is I or, I or an E, but it's E-T-I-C. Perichoresis, which is the fancy word for how your body and your soul fit together. You explain to me how your body and your soul fit together. If we took one of you, Donna, you're a completely nice woman, but if we tried to separate you from body and if we tried to separate you body and soul, we would kill you. You can't explain how your body and soul gets together. Or this is the same word for how the Holy Trinity work with each other. Three persons, all from the same stuff, 
They cooperate in all their works. They share the same essence. And yet they're three separate persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or, this is also the word for the two natures of Christ. How is it that Christ is both divine and human? And now you wake up today, and it's also a description of how, the, how, how, how heaven and earth interlock. This is fascinatingly consistent. Yes, please. More, please. Good. So what? Well, but see, but so that's what I was stunned when you didn't say anything. I thought I would get 15 answers. So what I'm asking. So good. One place where Christ, and it actually is the Nowen book, the year before, because do you know where was the classic? You loved that book, I remember. But kind of think about. You did love that book, didn't you? I didn't want to assert. I, th- I thought I remembered you really loved it. Do you remember where? Where for, there's a couple of places in the book where he talks about. Um, Jesus being hidden or, or Jesus overlapping in the world. Do you remember any of those that you really liked? There was one you told me. I mean, I'll rat you out if you don't think of it yourself. You said, you, you were, you, you, uh, there was a conversation I think I had with you one time where you were particularly struck by, the, by, the, by the, the part toward the end of the book where he says, Jesus is in every stranger, and as you serve them, you encounter Christ. Did you and I have that conversation? I think we did too. Okay, Sorry. Yeah, the road to Emmaus is the main story, and that's where heaven and earth intersect. So one place, okay, so here's the thing. Where does it intersect? It intersects in the incarnation, right? So, I mean, where does this intersect? This is the Christmas story. Christmas is the great intersection. But the other one is, another one is this, in the stranger. Jesus says, Matthew 26, you did it to one of these, you did it to me. Where were you, Lord? Do you remember this? You visited me in prison, you gave me something to drink. And then some people say, he says, you forgot me. He said, well, we never saw you. Do you remember the story? This is Matthew 26. Am I, am I, do you know this story? Do we need to open it up? You remember the end? Jesus at the end, just before he goes, on the last day he comes back and he says to some people, you had all this opportunity to do good, and you never did it. Straight to hell with you. And then they say, we never saw you, which is another way of saying the world's never overlapped. And then he turns to the other side and he says, Thank you so much. When I was in prison, you came and saw me in prison. You brought me soup when I was sick. You know, and, you, and, and then, then they say, what? He said, oh, yeah, the world's overlap. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. That's this worldview. Everything is intertwined incarnationally, sacramentally, you were going to say. Yes! Ah! Yes! Why do we sing Hosanna? Yeah, believe me, it's much easier to look through the host at you than to look at you. Nothing personal. Well, I just say it the same for my wife. If you see people through the... There's a reason I erase you when I elevate the host. Because I don't want to know anything about you at that point but Jesus. There's nothing that matters about you except Christ that's in you, right? So where do heaven and earth earth? Why do we sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest? Why do we sing that? 
That's the, word, that's the words that were sung by the children as Jesus came up to the temple on Palm Sunday. He's coming. Heaven and earth are about to have this explosive intersection. Where else did they intersect? What, if, did anybody, if you did, did you, I don't want to ask if you read, but Mound made a big point of one of them that was just up our alley. Did you get another? Where else did they intersect? This chapter, I mean, part of what I'm, when I read, I've never, just so you know, I haven't read ahead and I've never read this book, but I was cursing the book as I read thinking, this is just our new members class. What, what was the example that he used? He used the two examples that we use in new members class. I'd never read the book before. I'm like, we should have written this book. I'm serious. This is just, what were the two that he used? He used baptism, and what did he say about it? He said, uh, don't you know you're a new creation? And don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm like, we thought of that. In fact, I'm thinking of suing him. But we probably won't, you know, he hitchhiked with the girl and with a bunny in 1968. And who can compete with that on a book blurb? All right, so where else do they intersect? They intersect at the supper. They intersect at baptism. Gaining's got a whole dissertation going on they intersect at the preached word. So they, 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 they intersect. Huh? Not in the jokes, that's right. You do know, he, he should have said, and now I speak not as from the Lord, but from myself, like Paul did, right? Okay, but it's, everybody's got something to confess. In the living voice of Jesus, right? Boom, 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 boom. So this is what your world looks like. Does that make sense? And, I, and part of, now looking back on the early weeks of struggling with this book, part of the reason Part of the reason we had so much trouble, I think, is that some of you still had this world view. And it's, it's a natural thing, because when we talk, especially about the Holy Spirit, what do you talk about? You talk about somebody got healed, somebody spoke in tongues, somebody, you know, and he did a brilliant job of saying, of course people speak in tongues, of course people get healed. But that's just one of many, and frankly, not the normal way that God deals with us. You know, this is, not to revisit what was a difficult discussion last time around, but this is all the, this is the difference between the two articles. This was the article on the other side. God said, and this, was, this is what we were trying to prompt you toward. See, this is, occasionally God intervenes and gives a vision. Yeah, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but when he does, it always looks like this, and that's why Paul says, test the, the or scriptures say, test the spirits. You know, the noble Bereans, they, they read their Bibles. Yes, please. Right. Right, right. And, and I, you should just hear this clearly. God, and, and you should just to clean up from last week, God may give visions. I mean, sometimes I use a test case, which I learned from Pastor Gaining, um, for people who, uh, and I wish I'd said it last week, because I would have asked you, and I don't want to revisit that too hard, but I do, it's a crucial element. For those of you who think that girl saw a vision, it was Jesus. So let's say she did. I want to ask you a similar question. If you were ill with an incurable disease, would you go to Lourdes and take the waters? 
Lourdes is this famous place in France, you know, where people dip in the waters where the Virgin appeared and people get healed. So I just have a question for you. Because if you really believe that, the, that Jesus appeared in a vision to that girl, and you come to me and say, you're incurable, my suggestion would be, I would say, book a ticket to Lourdes. Because it's the same belief. Except not exactly, because the one has a long history and has been countenanced by the church. And the other one's kind of individualized. So I, I just sort of put that to you, because I think sometimes we, we, we need to push all our assumptions way out. And if we're going to hold on to things, let's push it. Let's push them all the way out. If we're going to believe it happens, then let's believe it happens. And if we're not going to believe it happens, let's not believe it happens. Or let's have some criteria for how we decide to do that. So occasionally, you're going to have experience that look like spiritual Disneyland. Like the first Pentecost, when everybody's hair really did catch on fire. Except that Luther, I don't know if you've ever seen the woodcut for Luther, he actually says the fire was in their mouths. Because it just says their heads in the text. You know, it doesn't say, I mean, it says it was on their, in their, it says in their head. So people always kind of politely put it on top. But Luther said when they opened up, it was like, like a blast furnace. It's kind of an interesting way to think about it. I mean, the text doesn't say. The text doesn't say it's up here. And this would be more true to this, which would be then more true to this. How are you doing so far? This was much more rigorous than I thought it would be. I actually found this to be an extraordinarily gentle um, a gentle, a gentle reading. If you've got your book open, um, I'm getting the sense that all of you didn't get a chance to run through this. So let's read a couple of pieces here. 122. Just kind of think about this. Here, here's part of the problem. Here's, and this is part of the interest. You can't explain this. You can't explain how the human and the divine go together, nor can I. You can't explain how your body and soul are put together. You can't explain how the Trinity works. You can't explain how heaven and earth interlock. You can say some things about it, and there's some things you can't say about it. So the trick of being a Christian is to say the things you're supposed to say, and then you let the rest go. And so often, this is why this book is good for apologetics, which is just telling people about Jesus. So often people come with their questions, and they insist on having their questions answered. This brilliant little paragraph at the top of 122. As was so often the case, Jesus didn't answer their questions directly. Now you think way back to Kapan, where we read Kapan. By the way, Gainig, who now does, this is, this is the great thing. I have these ideas which I just sort of, or he'll say, how about this? And then I actually uh, go back to worrying about school enrollment, and he actually does them. So he wrote Kapan the other day and invited him to come here. Because, you know, we're on a roll. Yes. And he got a full-page letter back saying, well, we don't travel much anymore, but you're welcome to come to tea next time you're in Boston. 83. But it was, it was a fascinatingly kind letter from his wife who, who seemed genuinely, genuinely pleased to be invited. It was the way people should care for other people. She... She declined in such a gracious way, which just makes me want to book the plane to Boston and go to tea with him, because I'd just be interested to know what he's thinking about, you know. So, so, so often the case, Jesus didn't answer the questions directly. That was Kapama's about. Remember, there's just a left-handed way that God works. It doesn't work by force. Many of the questions we ask God can't be answered directly. Okay, now here's the thing. 
If you ask questions, if you ask your questions of God, you break the first commandment. God isn't really interested in your questions, and if you demand that he answer your questions, then you're God and he's not. So he answers the questions he answers. And long ago, far away, I told you, you fit your questions to his answers, not the other way around. He answers, then you question, but you don't question and try to make him answer. Sometimes he answered them, sometimes he didn't. You can ask questions that God chooses to answer. No, it's the same world. The whole point of this is it's the same world. And so remember later in this chapter he says, did you lose your book again? Oh my gosh. Okay, this could be your third one I'm going to give you. Only because you're my wife. I love you. Really? Oh my God. I still love you, but Claire's going to not be able to go back to school after Christmas because of our book bill. <laughs> Sorry, Claire. Okay, good. Well, it's nice a woman has her book at work. Leave it lying around for people to see. Give you a chance to say something nice. Um, so here's the thing. You can ask, the, when, he, when he said, when he went back and said, you know what the story you need to know? If you want to understand the Holy Spirit, you know what story you need to know? The Exodus story. You're like, this is great. Why? Because here's the other thing that this does. This, this sort of tries to cut the world in half, Old Testament and New Testament. Or sometimes people will try to cut this in half, Old Testament and New Testament. It's just one story. Remember, we always start in, there's just one story. There's just one story. It starts in Eden, and it goes back to New Eden. It starts with death, and it gets to resurrection. There's just one story. There's just one spirit. I mean, did it occur to you as you read? You tell me, where do you meet the Holy Spirit? He, he has these great descriptions of the spirit. You know, uh, ah! This, this is at the bottom of 126. The Spirit is the strange, personal presence of the living God himself, leading, guiding, warning, rebuking, grieving over our failings, celebrating our small steps toward our true inheritance. That is gorgeous. Or he says, where the, he says, where the Spirit is the brooding presence uh, of, of, of God over the waters. Where did you ever hear about God brood over the waters? Quickly tell me. Creation is one. Where's the next time? Uh, yeah, but before that, hold that one for about three, three clicks. Where's the next one? When Noah's in the ark, what, is, what does he send out to see if everything is okay? Yeah, the dove. One bird comes back. Which bird comes back and says it's all okay? The dove is the one that says it's okay. Ding, 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 ding. A dove over the waters making things safe. And then, uh, before you get to your baptism, who's baptism first? Doesn't the heavens rip open? He says, I'm really proud of you. You're my son. What happens? broods over the water again. And then you're right, of course, at our own baptism, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit. So this constant thing of him brooding over the waters. Why is it important? He doesn't just brood. It's not just an emotion. He actually broods in with and under a material thing. He broods over the waters. Guess what? Because stuff is important. Your skin is extraordinarily important. This is important. This gets saved. He grabs you by your skin and he pulls you up out of hell. It's not just you love him and he loves you and you love each other and you feel good about it and we're at Disneyland together. It's that he created you out of the dust. He meant for you to live tangibly, materially, fleshly with him, with all your senses alive, what you see, what you smell. I mean, the way that he started this, you know what, I, you know what was brilliant? 
Did you, I mean, this first thing. I've just thrown open the window on a glorious spring morning. A fresh breeze is stirring around the garden. In the distance is the crack of a bonfire as a farmer clears away some winter rubbish near the path down to the sea. Okay, now I'm starting to get jealous. If you, t- if you throw in the path down, I was like right with you, and now I'm starting to envy, okay? Because there's a path that goes down to the sea, brooding over the waters. Near the path down to the sea, a skylark is hovering over the, over the nest. All around, there is a sense of creation throwing off its winter coverings and getting ready for an outburst of new life. All of these, and I didn't make them up, by the way. All creation sings to the Spirit. It's his spirit. The Father creates through the Son. And the, the Spirit, this is John 1 and Genesis 1. Why are John 1 and Genesis 1 the same story? They're the same story. The Father speaks, the Son creates, the Spirit hovers. All is blessed, all is well. But it's well because you've got material stuff interlocking with God who's your creator. Which means you're never alone and you're never unloved. Do you see how all the pictures fit together? If you'll only embrace the incarnation if you'll only have that Jesus takes flesh and blood and he still has flesh and blood. And, you know, this, when, you, when you start to think about all this stuff, you can, you can suddenly understand why we, you know, I know we irritate you to the point of you can hardly stand it sometimes, talking about the supper and the virgin mother and the church and, and all the other gifts and baptism. But that's all they're flipping is. There isn't anything else. This is what, this is it. This is the end. This is it. This is all there is. And it's an extraordinarily good thing. Turn to now one. I'm yeah. Yes. Right. Because you. On, yes. Because yeah. you were taught somewhere by your dead Orthodox pastor, the same way I was, right. that the only thing that matters is we keep you out of hell. Right. We just yeah. got to keep you out of hell. Just stay out of hell, and then you're a Christian. You're just if you're just out of hell, you're a Christian. And then this pregnant phrase from, it's the life, after, life after death. So it's the now that matters. Go to 123. There's another side of it. I'm just going to start reading because it's a long bit. You know, and and this is brilliant. I get this thing church too. You know, he's he's worried about the word church. But there's another side to it, a side of it which shows all the signs of wind and fire, the bird brooding over the waters and bringing new life. For many, church means just the opposite of that negative image. This is, if there was one page, you know, for the next year, what you could think about, this is exactly what we're aiming at. We didn't even know this was here. The great thing about the world is everybody is, the world will, will break down in the next hundred years between people who think like this and people who think like this. This is our whole speech about there won't be denominations anymore. You know, I won't be around to see it, but there are people who are going to think like this and there are going to be people who think like this. That's what's going to matter. Okay, to just, just read this. 
For many, church means just the opposite of that negative image. And so here's the thing. If you want to have a negative image of church, you probably should find another church. This isn't the place where you come and complain about everybody else. This is the place where the Spirit broods. Just read this. It's a place of welcome and laughter, of healing and hope, of friends and family and justice and new life. It's where the homeless drop in for a bowl of soup and the elderly stop by for a chat. It's where one group is working to help drug addicts and another campaigning for global justice. It's where you find people learning to pray, coming to faith, struggling with temptation, finding new purpose, and getting in touch with a new power to carry that purpose out. It's where people bring their own small faith and discover in getting together with others to worship community. The one true God, that the whole becomes greater than the sum. No private personal faith, but communal faith, confession. That the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. No church is like this all the time, but a remarkable number of churches are partly like that for quite a lot of the time. Nor must we forget that it was the church in South Africa which worked and prayed and suffered and struggled so that when major change happened and apartheid was overthrown and a new freedom came to that land, it came without the massive bloodshed we were all expecting. It was the church which stayed alive at the heart of the old communist Eastern Europe and which at the end, with a procession of candles and roses, made it clear that enough was enough. If that's not Jesus, I don't know what Jesus is. It was Jesus who went to the cross, was nailed to it, and had the last laugh. It was the church which, despite all its follies and failings, which is completely debilitates this notion that people in the church think they're better or the people in the church are hypocrites. Of course they're hypocrites. Of course you're sinners. The point is, we're not going to let you be hypocrites in our presence, and we're going to eliminate your sin as best we're able. Okay? It was the church which, despite all its follies and failings, is there when it comes to hospitals, schools, prisons, and many other places. I would rather rehabilitate the word church than beat about the bush with long-winded phrases about blah, blah, blah. Okay? That's what the church is meant to be, and it happens by way of the Holy Spirit, but you never forget that what the Holy Spirit bears is the incarnate flesh of Christ at the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit never acts alone. The Holy Spirit is always pointing to the incarnate flesh of Christ, the flesh that hangs on the cross, the flesh that's in the Eucharist. The Holy Spirit is always pointing to the interlocking nature of our world and heaven. And someday then, it just becomes heaven when our world is absorbed. New heaven, new earth. The evil is blown away, the new is absorbed, and Eden is restored. And then, Dicker, there's just one word, a gospel word. That's what will happen on the last day. Okay? But somebody got the point where, <clears throat> down at the bottom of page 124, one key element of living as a Christian is learning to live with the life and by the rules of God's future world, even as we are continuing to live within the present one. This has been Bible study upstairs at 10.15 the last two weeks, which is we're going through James where he talks about learning to enjoy the sifting that comes. And my great nervousness 
is that when the sifting comes, we default back to the world, the rules of the world, or we default back to original sin rather than remembering who we are and playing by the rules which seem to have, at that particular time, no purpose. In Gethsemane, what the, Lord, what the Father was saying to the Son seemed to have no particular payoff. Okay? When they're nailing into the cross, he couldn't possibly have said to himself, <coughs> this is really a nothing. Okay? And this was all our discussion about what he knows last week. That's why this discussion matters. What happens is, is he is being utterly destroyed. They're actually driving spikes through him. They're going to hang him up and let the birds peck his eyes out, and there's nothing he can do. And what Jesus says at that point is, forgive them. They're so blasted ignorant, they think the world looks like this or like this. Forgive them because they can't understand that the world looks like this. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't know what the world looks like. So the trick among Christians is to live from the world that is already yours. Did you like that little bit about the wedding ring? I actually didn't know that. Did you know that? That the word, the, the, the engagement ring, thank you. Wedding ring would be a wrong translation. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. And that's the word in modern Greek for your engagement ring. It's brilliant, right? I mean, what is your engagement ring but a promise of something that's going to come? You're going to get that later. What? I neither. But you see, it's because it's not used in ancient Greek. It wasn't used that way, and it wasn't apparently in the Koine of the New Testament. But modern, you know, it's one of the things of, that's why you hang around smart guys. I mean, you know, the bishop in 1968, after he met that bunny, was hanging out with some Greeks, apparently, and he learned some stuff. <laughs> this is why, you, you know, this is why your pastors apparently should just, like, leave for six months and hitchhike around the world and then come back and tell you all the things they learned and you busy, say, from <laughs> now until June? <clears throat> this is why you actually have to have people in the church who have actually been places and done things and learned stuff. That's my political comment for the day, Vicar. Uh, you know. Does that make any sense to you at all? This is just like, this is just, so, so I mean, this is, this is, this is the country of the Trinity, as Beth observed. It is, it is, see, but the thing is, is, so, you know, what, what was, uh, what is Peterson? I can't remember. What? He's Presbyterian. He's Presbyterian, isn't he? So here's the thing. You got us Lutherans and this Anglican and that Presbyterian, and, you know, we could find you the odd Catholic or even Baptist if you wanted to, and certainly the Orthodox. Father, Father Patrick didn't say anything different when he was here a few weeks ago. What, Sorry? And now and now and is the same. Now and is now and is quite the same. I mean, now and uh, the the thing to Emmaus was all about seeing Jesus interlocked. I mean, now and was the most potent when he says that you know Jesus is in everyone. That's uh, startling stuff. Right. And yet the thing that connects all three is, is how we look at the world and 
Yeah, that's exactly, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say a couple of things which I said before, but maybe it, it'll, you'll hear it in a new way, which is denominations are a modern invention. Okay? Modern invention. There weren't any denominations until the Reformation. That means there weren't denominations per se for the first 1,500 years of the church. There's a little bit of a dust-up between East and West about whether or not the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father alone or the Father and the Son. And Some monks got in a fist fight, just like they did this week. Did you see in the chapel the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? This is great. You know, a Muslim holds the key to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem because the monks can't get along. They got in a fist fight again. It was great to see the guy in a dalmatic in a fist fight. You don't normally see a guy fully vested, like, jacking somebody else up, okay? So, you know, the church, the church, it is what it is. The church militant, yes, right. This is a form of the church militant, exactly. Uh, Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. Denominations are a modern invention, and if modernism goes away, one might suspect that denominations might go away. Now, they have to go away on biblical grounds. You can't just say, you know, none of that ever happened. But as you hear, as you see people cross lines, what they often say is, I really read my Bible, and the things that applied 500 years ago maybe don't apply now. You know, you have to be open to that, because this, this ending thing where he says, this is the last bit on the bottom of 29, you know, the counter-retort is equally obvious to anyone who knows the writings of St. Paul. He could see the failings of the church. I can see your failings, you can see mine. And of individual Christians, I can see your failings, and you can see mine just as clearly as we can. And it's in one of the letters where those failings are the most embarrassingly obvious, Paul's first letter to the Christians at Corinth, where he makes the claim, you corporately, okay, not individually, you corporately, he says to the whole church, are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells within you. He does also say that individually. Don't you know you were bought with a price? You know, but he's saying that broadly and narrowly. That's why the unity of the church matters so much. Your bodies, he says to them, one by one, there's the individual side, are temples of the Holy Spirit within you. 619. This is the same text we use in the new members class the first day. How did the temple get to be the temple? First Kings 8 and 9. They built a building and the Holy Spirit moved in. How does your little child, your little pagan, become a temple of the Holy Spirit? You, 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 put, the na- you put the name on him and the Holy Spirit moves in. It's the same thing. First Kings 9, they, he puts his name on the building and that's his building. You know, Matthew 28, he puts his name on you and you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Temple in the Old Testament, temple in the New Testament, same temple, same way. It's so easy. Just keeps doing the same thing. That's all right. And we were too afraid that we might become Catholic. We were just invited. I'll flip off my. I'm just going to flip off for this. This is great.
given food to the hungry, the feeding of the 5,000. We like that text. Jesus is healing people who are sick. because, Because people don't focus on the life after life after death. They only focus on the after death life. They're not focused on the right thing. If you don't ask the right questions, you can't get the right answers. It boils down to... I, well, speaking of bagels, why don't you hand that thing out? Because this is, you know, you think you're not young and hip. Do you have that thing there? That your article? This one? Yeah, that's gr- You want to go with that or you don't want to lead with that? Do you have copies of that? Yeah, I brought copies. You want to have a run at that thing? I wasn't going to even let you do it. I was going to do it. Oh, okay. But can I have your copies? Yeah, sure. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> Just hand them out. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. You know, I need one of those rings for people to kiss. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Rela- try to relax, okay? Oh, you can't just re- everybody just try to try to relax. You're all too serious about your lives. Gonna be fine. There you go, Betty. That might hurt your faith, but go ahead and read it anyway. I'm not kidding you. I guess you can't make this stuff up. I turn it over to you. Actually, I've had my. But besides, I completely failed in my emo, uh, my emo, my emo, emoification. So, it is now. <laughs> Here you go. Hand these out. See if you. This is the Time magazine. See how hip Gaining is. I mean, he's like or Newsweek. Sorry, yeah. But it's 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 you know new stuff. So I mean, you just can't you can't make this up. You clicked. Are you on? Go ahead, because this is just uh, like, yeah, this, this is, here, I'll just, you can read this through later, I'll just give you the highlights, but one of the advantages of uh, going to sport clips for your haircut, Vic, is that where you go? All right, well, I go there. It's great, actually, when you sit in the chair. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story, we got 15 minutes. Uh, have I? We have 15 minutes. Oh. Go ahead, go with the story. Yeah, just like we got invited to the seminary. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Well, because I said to him, I should probably also bring Pastor Bruzek, because, yeah. But, you know what? I do everything for you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just joking. I said I have good ideas, and then you execute Well, Sometimes I don't even have good ideas, and you execute Anyway, sport clips. Usually I go, you know, you can buy the season ticket, which is about 16 bucks a haircut, but they wash your hair after you get a haircut, which is worth the 16 bucks. But usually I say as I'm sitting in the chair, they say, I mean, inevitably I go on a Monday, and they say, well, what do you do for a living? Is it your day off? And I say, ah, I'm in between jobs, or I'm out of work, or, well, I don't want to, yes, I do, <laughs> in between jobs. No, I, so finally I said to this one woman, I said, well, I'm, I said, uh, I said, I'm a pastor. Well, that wasn't good. She said, what kind? And I said, Lutheran. And she said, I'm a Lutheran. I said, really? I said, where do you go to church? She goes, I don't remember the name. <laughs> I said, when's the last time you went? 14 years ago. Young woman. So then they want to tell you their story, and she's pregnant out of wedlock. And then she starts to wash my hair, and she says, I raise snakes. In fact, I've got a five-foot boa constrictor that I feed live rats to. I'm thinking, and you're touching my hair right now. So anyways. Um, well, just so it was alive. Just so it was alive. <laughs> Wouldn't hurt me. Now, I hope she washed her hands before work. Um, no, because that would be a modernist way to think. That'd be kind of fun. Snake dropping straight down, you see. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, okay, so 
in thinking about this and thinking about this, the other, you know, the one other place, and, and, and I'm not surprised Pastor Bruzic didn't go here. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, in this, in this perichoresis, and this is where N.T. Wright eventually goes, is that there's perichoresis between Christ and the Christian. Oh, well, that too, because she's a Christian. Christ and, and Christ and the BVM, the Blessed Virgin Mary, right? You drive a BMW, I ride with the BVM, okay? BVM! No one's, no one's taking that. I don't have a license in Illinois yet. Don't tell anyone. I'm sure. So we're, so, okay, so let me, this is a true story. Okay, this is a true story. Sunday afternoon, Nelson's got the youth. He's here at work and clipping along. And Bruzek and I go down to Alice Monty, Grandma Monty, who is, her funeral's today. And this was, I just thought about this as you were talking. And after you said, we focus on the not yet more than we do the now. So we go up and, and actually, and I don't know how you feel. I'm sure you're the same way. I had lunch with someone yesterday who said, what's the best part about being a pastor? And I said, seeing people on their deathbed. There's nothing better. Accommodation of the dying, there's nothing better than that. So we're up there, and we have the Eucharist, and we have the comedy. Yeah. They're finally, they're finally, very little protest. That's right. But what was, no, it's true. They just, they're only given to. Would a pastor rather preach a wedding or a funeral? Funeral. Getting on to the reception. Right. They listen. That, yeah. Not for more than eight minutes, but they listen. So, and, well, never mind. So we're upstairs, we're upstairs in the house with, uh, with Grandma Monty. And after we had the Eucharist and did the commendation of the dying, everyone left the room. And I was stunned by this. I thought about it afterwards. We both went up to her separately and said, we love you. It's all going to be all right. You know, because she can still hear what's going on. But at the exact same moment, we both said, we'll see you Sunday, which was fascinating. Because there was no chance she was going to live to Sunday. I mean, you knew this. There's no chance. But what that said was, death does not separate the communion of saints, which is what John Buscem said, our former designer. Death does not separate the communion of saints, which means just because her body has died doesn't mean she's not going to be at the rail on Sunday. She just has a different place now. She now sits in the gap where no one kneels right now. So... I think we did. About the altar rail, you know altar rails sometimes look like this. Here's the altar. Everyone kneels along here. They always left the back open so that the saints could kneel. Okay? Just a habit. Just a habit. The, the, the saints are there. And the saints, and the saints continue. This is very important. The saints, the Christian life is a dance. The, the Christian dances with Jesus, and the saints dance with Jesus. So when you come to church, it's just one big dance, and guess what? You all have the same date. You show up, and you're all going to dance with the same guy. That's all it is. So death doesn't separate the communion of saints. And now in this article here, this is, this is, the, this is what's so striking about this. Basically, what they're proposing here is you can have the Eucharist without the community which is a very modern way of thinking because it's all about you, it's all about your personal faith, it's all about clicking the computer, it's all anti-community, it's all anti-perichoresis, it's all anti-dance. If you're not there for the dance, you don't have a date and you're not dancing. you got to go. So this article says, click in remembrance of me, 
all these churches are now saying, well, I mean, here, at the very beginning, with a scrap of bagel and a sip of crystal light, Beth McDonald gave communion to her husband. Then, after the blessing, he gave communion to her. Music played as a celebrant intoned the ancient words. That's fascinating that he intoned it. Do this in remembrance of me. The experience was among the most spiritually powerful of her life. I had my eyes closed, McDonald told me. We were praying. I got really choked up. And so this is going on all over the place. In fact, sadly, you can now go to uh, um, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, and you can actually adore the host online. Okay? So that's all anti-community. But it ends here. This is so great. Look at the second, second column. Second to last paragraph, last sentence. There's a communal aspect to the Eucharist that's difficult to satisfy on the web. Can a Christian community be authentically replicated online? Roman Catholics, especially who believe the communion wafer is the body of Christ, and Lutherans. A disembodied ritual makes no sense. Anne Forrest is a professor of computer science at St. Bonaventure University. She's also a practicing Lutheran who has a doctorate in theology. The whole point of religion, she insists, is embodiment. The being together. Not just you and Jesus, but you and the community. Physically, with others and with God, the sacrament cannot be simulated. The experience is not about you and the Eucharist. If you can't make the time to experience the community, then why do you need the sacrament? To those who say they feel alienated from the traditional church, Forrest invokes the message of Jesus. Nobody's perfect, she says. Get over it. Or as Billy Graham once said, if you're looking for the perfect church and you join, it's not perfect anymore. Okay? Best thing he ever said. This is what it's all about. You don't dance at home by yourself. Okay? You go to the dance with Jesus. And when everyone joins together in the dance then, it's, it's back and forthness, it's bearing each other's burdens, and that only happens. This is why the Eucharist is everything. I mean, heaven drops down to earth, and earth bubbles up underneath the altar, and it comes to a cosmic head when the pastor says, this is my body, and this is my blood. The patent and the chalice, that is where heaven and earth clash. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Which is why you can't come to church and be cranky. We understand if you're cranky, but this is the anti-cranky place. So you can't come, you can come cranky, but you can't leave cranky. You leave <laughs> your crankiness here. And if you just come here to sort of nurture your crankiness, and what you find is, Fewer people that will, if there are fewer, there's so many nice people in the church, they won't rebel against your crankiness. If you went to the jewel and acted that way, somebody would deck you and there'd be cleanup in aisle three. But you come to the church and you think because there's nice people, you should just be able to be cranky? Uh-uh. That's why the church excommunicates. We tell you when you're in, we tell you when we're out, okay? But in between time, we'll try to love you up, but don't try to pull the cranky card here because that's not the way, it's heaven and earth interlocked. And if you're not struggling toward it's utterly works righteous isn't it <laughs> the life that Christ would have you leave then you're not look at page 124 Re read two paragraphs to you and then we'll be done first paragraph on 124 the wind and the fire and the brooding bird are given to enable the church to be church to actually be church not just claim to be church or you know put the name church out there actually to be church in other words, to enable God's people to be God's people. You know, we should, yeah, ooh, sometimes we should take the name away. This has a surprising and dramatic effect. 
The Spirit is given so that we ordinary mortals can become, in a measure, what Jesus himself was, part of God's future arriving in the present, a place where heaven and earth meet, the means of God's kingdom going ahead. I told you, you know, the speech I saw, or the little talk where the guy from International Justice Ministry, you know, straightens his glasses and says, God has a plan and you're it. You know, if that gives you hives, you don't understand the gospel. This, I mean, don't you know that Christ dwells in you? Don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, Jesus' text where he says the kingdom of God is among you, which I think is the preferred translation because other people, otherwise people privatize it, but it can also be translated as the kingdom of God is within you. That's right, understood sacramentally. It's both within you and among you. Christ is here and he's in you, but he's also in everybody else, and you're all part of his body. It's happening right now. The Spirit is given, in fact, so that the church can share in the life and the continuing work of Jesus himself now that he's gone into God's dimension. That is heaven. Now get this, and Ganey has preached on this a couple of times already on Ascension Day. The Ascension is about just that. Jesus going ahead into God's sphere against a day when heaven and earth become one. And he is once again personally present in the new combined heaven and earth, the new Eden. So what do we do on Ascension Day? Do you remember? What do we do on Ascension Day? At the reading of the gospel, he went up to heaven. What do we do? We need Joe Williamson, Link, or Orland here. What do we do? Remember? We put the candle out, and he ascended it to heaven. Pause. Candle is out. And then when you come back the next Sunday, where is it moved to? It's moved from the gospel. At the vigil, it goes to the gospel side, right? And then after... After Ascension Day, where does it go? To the font, because if you need to find Jesus, you can find him in the font. That's why the candle goes there. It's a marker. It's like a lighthouse. Boom, boom, boom. You need to find him. Here it is. Receive this burning light, right? Live always by the light of Christ. It all fits together, okay? Now look at 129. This is the last bit, I think. <clears throat> just at the top of the page. All the questions we want to ask, how does this happen? Who does it happen to? When, where, why, under what conditions? Those are all modern questions, right? You gotta be able to explain it. When you explain it, you control it. When you control it, you don't need it. See how that works? If I can, if I can explain God and control God, I can be my own God. All those questions remain partly mysterious and will do so until the creation is finally renewed and the two dimensions are joined into one as they were designed to be. One Eden, one gospel, one word. And as Christians pray daily that they will be, give us, uh, uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, right? But the point of talking about the spirit within option three, that's the interlocking option, ought by now to be clear. If it wasn't, St. Paul would rub our noses in it. Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are, individually and corporately, places where heaven and earth meet. You are a place where heaven and earth meets. We together are a place where heaven and earth meets. 
and we live from the places where heaven, where God lets heaven and earth meet. Baptism, the Viva Vox, and preaching. Yes. Yeah. Right, yes. So that has nothing to do with works righteousness. The problem with works, works righteousness is before life after death. We're talking about the life after life after death. You know, that's good because we could use a few more men in this room. <laughs> Let me just tell you, this is not easy duty. Okay? So uh, thank you very much. You never run by your own steam, which is, you know, I've been saying that, I learned that from John Kleinig, and then, then there it is, it's, it, you know, he takes it verbatim, you know. Uh, it's just crazy when you find things that, but it's comforting in its own way. So there you go, do with it what you will, but um, this is, this is the, this is, it's interesting because it's the Christian way of looking at the world, and it's also, you see, a postmodern way of looking at the world, or it can potentially be, which means you have the potential to engage people. What else is he talking about but all these things that people are really, really interested in? The new creation, the community where it's not just about you, the place where you can be used for something bigger than yourself and where everything works out. Boom. This is just so, it's just so easy. But the, but the primary thing is you really need to be, as I said in Bible study on Sunday, you really need to be intolerant of evil within the community. Within this community, you really need to be intolerant of evil. It's this very difficult dance where we want to be loving, we want to be indulgent, and we want to, but at some point, we just have to be intolerant of people who are miserly, intolerant of people who are sinful, intolerant of people. It's fine to come cranky. I mean, we're going to have a funeral in 90 minutes. People are going to come, I suspect, somewhat broken. And half an hour later, we hope they will leave under repair. It's fine to come broken. It's fine to be a sinner. But the point is, you can't cling on to that. You leave all that at the altar, and you go out living as life after, life after death. Boom. And we shouldn't confuse those two things. It's extraordinarily important. And then the church becomes the kind of place where everybody wants to play, where it's fun to come, as opposed to where it's not so much fun. See? It's a different way to think about the world. That's why these little things that you always hear us talking about, you know, when people gossip, careful, or, uh, you know, they won't go directly or talk to people, or, um, you know, they don't come to church every week, but still call themselves part of the part of the church. That's why we're so hard on those things, because it's those little things that break the community and things never get repaired. You know, we, we love sinners. We love people who are beaten down. We love people who are broken. We know what to do with them. We know the way back to Eden, but we need to become a little more intolerant of people who um, are pretty assured that, you know, they're not going to hell, so therefore they can live like, um, well, they're in hell now. You know, the whole point is to live as if heaven is here now, because it is here now. It's in you, it's in Christ, it's in the Eucharist, it's in the Viva Vox, it's in baptism, it's in the community.
See, so living out the reality that's already ours, if we really believe what we say, that's what we're aiming at. That has nothing to do with works righteousness. When the boy puts his coat on, it's time to pray. All right? Are we coming back next? Yeah, we're coming back next week. We'll be here next week. We'll be here next week. Okay. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much.